Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you. I'm Desiree Frazier, and you're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state and local officials are sharing their plans for reducing crime in Mississippi's capital city. The Gulf South farmers struggle with extreme heat and drought last year. Now, some producers are using regenerative practices to recoup lost revenue. Plus, lawmakers are honoring the state's first African-American female lawmaker with a new portrait at the state capitol. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Law enforcement for the state of Mississippi and City of Jackson are working together to reduce crime. Jackson's crime rate has been elevated in recent years, and both state and local officials are searching for solutions to make the city safer. Governor Tate Reeves, along with other public safety leaders, spoke about their plans yesterday near where a viral video of a car shooting was filmed in October. Governor Reeves says this initiative has been underway since mid-January and is called Operation Unified. And its goal is to get violent drug traffickers and criminals off of Jackson streets. Participating agencies include the Mississippi Department of Public Safety's Bureau of Narcotics, Capitol Police, and the Office of Homeland Security, the Jackson Police Department, the Hines County District Attorney, and the Hines County Sheriff's Office, the Mississippi Department of Corrections, the FBI, the DEA, and ATF, as well as the U.S. Attorney's Office. As I said recently, Jackson is our capital city, in a place that my family and I, as well as over 145,000 fellow Mississippians, call home. It is a wonderful place filled with extraordinary people. It is a cultural hub for our state, and every individual who lives here or every individual who visits here deserves to feel safe. Despite the vast positives that Jackson has to offer, There's no doubt that, like many other cities around the country, we continue to grapple with a crime problem. Jackson still has the highest homicide rate of any major city in our nation. We aim to directly counter that with this operation. I want to make clear that the state of Mississippi is committed to improving our capital city 
and will stop at nothing to ensure the safety of its residents. In addition to surging the police presence in the capital city, Reeves says the state is investing improvements for roads, bridges, water, and sewer. Because the operation is still underway, many details are not being disclosed, according to Sean Tyndall. He's commissioner for the state's Department of Public Safety. Operation Unified represents critical response to the violent crime within the city of Jackson. Behind each statistic lies a tragic loss, a shattered family, and a community left with grief and fear. Our goal with this operation is clear, to go after the violent criminals responsible for perpetuating this cycle of violence, to hold them accountable for their actions, and to bring justice to the victims and their families. Working together is not just important, it's absolutely essential. By unifying our efforts across federal, state, and local agencies, we maximize our collective impact, leveraging our resources, expertise, and jurisdictional reach to target and dismantle criminal networks operating within our capital city and within our state. Officials for the city of Jackson say their police force has faced chronic staffing shortages in recent years. Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba says this partnership can help the city's officers do their job more effectively. I think that that residents, uh, by and large, will appreciate the fact that that their leadership is working uh, in conjunction with one another. Uh, I think that we have to do the the homework and the due diligence to make sure that they understand what it is and what it is not. Um, And so that's, you know, that's where the work, you know, continues, uh, along with uh, all of the men and women who will be working from a law enforcement standpoint. Uh, the reason that I talk about other tools in the shed is because, and the reason I also mention the crime solvability rate, is because when we look at policing, a big part of policing is responding to crimes after they occur, right? And if we are only looking at the challenge after it happens, right, uh, then we're not doing everything that we can in order to, to resolve this, this issue. And so that's why we want to put more tools uh, on the front end, hiring social workers, working with violence interpru- interruption organizations that are already on the ground. Uh, These are the things that we are doing and we will continue to do, as well as support law enforcement with the tools that they need to do their job. Concerns have been raised in recent months by Jackson residents. The state is overreaching its police presence in the city. Mayor Lumumba says this operation does allow the city more room at the table for what policing is happening. Sometimes there's work that is taking place in its silo, and it may not be bad work, right? Uh, But it can be improved when people are communicating sharing information um, and, and sharing resources. Officials added that the presence of officers will likely increase in the capital city for the next several months. Coming up, Gulf South farmers struggled with extreme heat and drought last year. Now some producers are using regenerative practices to recoup lost revenue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you aren't near a radio, you can still listen to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. You can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone or listen online at mpbonline.org. For Moments in Black History, we salute Al Himmler. Born in Tyro, Mississippi in 1915 and blind from birth, Al Himmler achieved national prominence with the Duke Ellington Orchestra in the mid-1940s before selling millions of copies of his recording of Unchained Melody. 
Al Hibbler, who was involved in the civil rights movement in the 1960s, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. This has been an MPB moment in black history. Family owned. You know, I respect my dad a lot. I know it wasn't easy when he passed the baton to me. But in the end, he realized it was the best thing for the business to sometimes look at things from different colored lenses. Family Owned, a legacy leadership podcast, exploring family businesses who make up the backbone of the American economy. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. From extreme heat to periods of drought, climate change is impacting farmers. In recent, or rather in response, some producers are leaning on more regenerative practices to preserve land rather than depleting it. Danny MacArthur of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on one woman's quest to reclaim an old peanut farm to create an indigenous food forest in Alabama. So down in here is one of the springs. Um, both the ponds are spring-fed. Angie Como is taking me to a spring on her farm in Florala, Alabama. The ground gets muddier the closer you get to it. <laughs> Como is showing me around Hummingbird Springs Farm. She and a group of volunteers planted thousands of trees and hundreds of plant species. It's winter, so at first glance, it just looks like overgrown grass and bushes. But what we're actually looking at is the early stages of an indigenous food forest. The whole farm is like a food forest. To understand what that is, let's talk about corn, beans, and squash. They're known as the three sisters. So the corn is tall and it gives a trellis for the beans to climb up. The beans will put nitrogen into the soil and that will help both the corn and the squash grow. The story of the three sisters is a smaller version of what happens in a food forest. The plants here grow stronger together. The squash leaves are very prickly and they are big and they cover a lot of the ground. So it's actually like giving moisture control to the soil and it also gives pest control because bugs don't necessarily like to walk on prickly little leaves. Como says she's Muscogee, Cherokee, and Choctaw. She was born in New Orleans and raised in southeast Louisiana, but came to Alabama to farm her ancestral lands. This farm was completely clear-cut when Como first got here in 2020. For almost a century, it had been a peanut farm. That left the soil depleted. But Como saw it as an opportunity to establish a healthy ecosystem. To do that, she's using traditional ecological knowledge. It's knowledge that's been passed down by generations of indigenous people based on their direct experience with the environment. Yate, yate yabini, from where I'm at, that's a good morning in Navajo. Nicholas Rajan is a natural resources specialist with the Intertribal Agriculture Council, a nonprofit that works to elevate and promote indigenous agriculture. Traditional knowledge changes depending on where you are. What works in Alabama won't necessarily work up in New York or California. That's why it's important for Como to plant what naturally grows in Alabama. And planting native species is especially important in the face of climate change, which has led to Gulf South farmers experiencing more extreme heat, droughts, and colder winters than before. The importance there is that you actually build up a, uh, a resiliency when you're using these native species because 
even if they're impact, impacted from these like more and more extreme weather shifts, they're still adapted for that region and for that climate. <laughs> There's all the goats. Hi, girls. Hello, girls. Angie Como has seen this firsthand. She and a group of volunteers planted 1,400 native trees here. Last winter, they went back to check on them after extreme weather, and she was surprised that they only lost 30. And she's found another sign that what she's doing is restoring the ecosystem here. So this is one right here. She points to a hole in the ground. The way you can tell it's a burrow or not, a gopher tortoise burrow, is the bottom is flat, and the top is more like a half moon or a semicircle. Gopher tortoises are a keystone species here. That means they have a larger impact on their ecosystem than others. They kick dirt out, so when they're digging it, the dirt is like, it forms like a, they call it an apron. So there'll be like a In two years, she's gone from three of these burrows to 30. If we can walk over to that little corner where I was talking about. <laughs> Como takes me to her favorite spot on the farm. It's a pond that she uses as a water source. I do hear them. At sunset, it's so loud, you can't even hear yourself think. Like, I'm surprised that... When she stands here, she feels peace. All you can see and hear is the farm. Como isn't farming here to make money. She says her ultimate goal is to be able to provide traditional foods to her community and create a land trust. So that the land she's healing is available for future generations. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Danny McArthur. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, lawmakers are honoring the state's first black woman elected to the state house with a new portrait at the Capitol. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Please join me and my colleagues for the Mississippi Arts Hour, where we have in-depth conversations with different creative Mississippians. That's the Mississippi Arts Hour, Sundays at 5 on Think Radio, or download it as a podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A new portrait is on display at the Mississippi State Capitol in Jackson to honor the first black woman elected to the legislature in 1985. Former Democratic Representative Alice Clark of Jackson retired last year, ending her 38 consecutive years in that role. And during that time, she says the Capitol has undergone major changes to improve equality for lawmakers across race and gender barriers. She speaks with our Will Stribling about having this new portrait on display. I am quite honored that um, the legislature would honor me by putting a portrait of me. And it, it, it means so much. It means that maybe all of that hard work I did was not in vain because the children who come along will be able to see that they can do anything, just like my mama told me, you don't know what you can do unless you try. So when they see that poetry up there, they will say, you know, I can do that. If she can do that, I can do that. So I'm hopefully hoping that there will be meaningful and helpful to some others. Do you miss the legislature at all, or are you, you glad to be, be done with that chapter? Well, 
I miss it. I can't say I don't miss it. But it's nice being at home and getting up when you want to and doing what you want to when you want to. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a difference. I'm enjoying being with my family. Just here for so long, just in that period, like how much did this body change in your view? Well, what I've seen is that I've seen the, the, the complexion of the body has changed. Fortunately, we now have more women in the legislature. When I got there, there were three women in the legislature. And now we have 19 women, which is not where it needs to be, but it's at least better than it was. And I think we have a more of a variety of where the, the individuals are from than it was when I got here. So that's, I think, what I can actually see. You know, these new, younger lawmakers coming up in the legislature, what would you hope that they would take away from your career and how they look to, you know, to serve their constituents in the best way they can? I'm hoping that they will listen to their constituents and try and do what their constituents ask them to do. Because that's what I believe you need to do. They send you here, and you're supposed to do the things they want to do and not what you want to do. The portrait is in the House Education Committee room. She served on that committee for many years. When Clark retired in 2023, voters elected Grace Washington of Jackson to take her seat. She says it's an honor to follow in the footsteps of Clark. It's a feeling of uh, honor, you know, excitement, you know, and just, you know, at all because she started the first. She's done a lot of firsts. So she was the first African-American elected female elected to the legislature. Now she's the first with her picture being hung. So, you know, she's making history, living history at that. It took long enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey, better now than never, mm-hmm. yeah. How were you feeling about the needs in your in your district and how have your constituents, like, you know, uh, reacted to, to, to having uh, you know you in office after ha- you know having her represent them for so long. You know, I think that the shift and change uh, within our district that they are uh, pleased. They spoke uh, in August of the choice that they wanted to come and continue the legacy and the work that she has done for the district uh, the past thirty plus years. And I'm just thankful to the constituents who voted for me and allowing me to continue to serve and continue her legacy and work hard for District 69 to take what she has done so far for our district and be able to move it forward, hopefully until the next century. Yeah, and looking at her career, just like what has that taught you, you know, as you come into this position? Literally being here this one month, one thing I can truly say that looking over her career span, it is taught perseverance and hard work because I'm learning and I see that that's what it's going to take, you know, in order to make change. Change is not going to come overnight. It may not even come this first session, but the the ability and the tenacity to continue to work hard for your constituents and for our state, and it will come. Mm -hmm. And then what are just your top priorities for the session? What are you hoping to see get done over the next few months? Well, over the next few months in regards to House District 69, we have a lot of infrastructure issues and concerns, uh, dilapidated housing blight, 
uh, you know, as well as safety for our community. And, you know, working with my new colleagues that I've met and built relationships with to see that we can get some of those things done through, you know, some appropriations, some funding, as well as some resources with uh, other community organizations that are doing some of those things in other areas throughout the state. Also speaking at the unveiling of the portrait is Republican Speaker Pro Tem Manley Barton of Moss Point. He says Clark was an inspiration to the chamber. You think about the different people she served with through those years. I mean, it's just a long list of of some very remarkable people. Um, And, you know, one of the great things about the chamber, the House of Representatives, we have we have so many different people that, that come from so many different backgrounds and experiences and so forth. And, and certainly Ms. Alice had a different uh, life experience, different backgrounds when she got here. She was the first black female to serve in the House of Representatives at a time when there weren't a lot of women who had served. So she certainly brought a different perspective to the chamber and uh, not only her perspective as a black female, but also as an educator and a school teacher. Um, Over her career, she's been instrumental in advocating for several programs that became law, certainly the drug, very successful drug courts across our state, the nutritional programs that she advocated so much for, and of course the state lottery. Now she was very persistent about the state lottery, so much so that when we finally passed the state lottery, we, we named it after her. And, uh, and so then she, got, she had an opportunity to buy the first ticket here in Jackson at uh, one of the Jackson convenience stores. Uh, just recently, and I won't say who it was, but one of her colleagues was quoted as saying that Ms. Alice reached her goals because she was persistent. Since the state lottery was introduced in 2019, it has accumulated more than $2 billion in gross sales. Before we go, here's a reminder for you. It's Spring Severe Weather Preparedness Week. The Mississippi Emergency Management Agency will be conducting a statewide tornado drill today at 915. They're asking folks to be aware that not everyone will hear the sirens, so participation in the drill is being decided by county officials. Emergency managers do ask that everyone take time to practice a safety plan for severe weather. Last year, an estimated 61 tornadoes touched down in the state. One of them had devastating winds that leveled the towns of Rolling Fork, Amory, and Silver City. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.